0: Hello, I'm Faisal Pervez, a South Asia analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Welcome to the Strat4 Podcast. I'm Fred Burton setting in for host Ben Sheen. In this episode of the podcast, I sat down with New York Times best-selling author Brad Thor to swap stories about Carlos the Jackal, counterterrorism, and his latest book, Use of Force. Thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And I'm here today with Brad Thor who has a brand new book out called Use of Force. It is, uh, as expected, a New York Times bestseller, and it is his 17th book, which is uh, just amazing, Brad. So uh, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today.
1: Well, as, uh, as you and I have had so much fun on Twitter, you know I'm a big fan of yours, Fred, so it's a uh, pleasure for me to be here.
0: I think what prompted this uh, idea was uh, Joshua Cook that's with us today who suggested we get together because uh, I had uh, tweeted out a, a picture of a uh, book of mine called Chasing Shadows, which uh, had a signature in there of uh, the infamous Carlos the Jackal, uh, uh, an old terrorist who I know quite so well and. And Brad, uh, you were kind enough to retweet that, and and you said, uh, and I quote, uh, because I'm going to hold this to you, uh, (laughs) you said, uh, I want to hear that story, Uh, name the time and place, and I'll buy drinks and dinner. So uh, I'm here to tell you that story, but uh, I must say this, I still intend to take you up on that free dinner. Being an old cop and agent, as you know, you never turn down free food.
1: That's that's right. Coppers love a free meal. I know that. I got a lot of friends who are police officers. So yeah, that offer still stands. But having been a big fan, uh, particularly of Robert Ludlum, growing up and reading about Carlos the Jackal, uh, when I saw you tweet that out, I said I've got to find out how did Fred get Carlos the Jackal's uh, autograph. So I am excited to hear this story.
0: Well, this is it. Uh... My book, Chasing Shadows, was a story of an assassination by Black September of an Israeli air attaché in my neighborhood when I was growing up. And and so the book was written, and out of the blue one day the FBI called me and said that uh, they had read the book, and this was the uh, FBI in Paris. And they said in looking at this – are there any loose ends that perhaps you would pursue if you were in our shoes which you know having been a former counterterrorism agent which was uh, uh quite intriguing to me and I was quite frankly uh just glad that that somebody took an interest in the case and so I said well uh if I was in your shoes uh, FBI I would try to go talk to Carlos the Jackal he's in a french prison and uh He swam in the same same circles of the old radical Palestinian crew and was a gun for hire. And uh, heck, when I was an agent back in the 80s, Brad, we had a a dog-eared file on uh, Carlos that uh, was stuffed full of uh, grainy surveillance reports and reports from Interpol and news clippings and so forth. And quite frankly, he was a guy that I thought we would never catch. So anyway, to make a long story short... uh, I signed a bunch of books for the FBI and and shipped them off to Paris, and about a month later, I get a book back, uh, my own book back, where uh, the FBI had had given it to Carlos, and Carlos signed one of my books and mailed it back to me. Uh, And I get a big kick out of the fact he uh, signed it with uh, my best revolutionary regards, uh, Carlos. So that's my story.
1: Uh, it it is a an amazing story, and he's such a fascinating character. And I don't know uh, if people who are listening know uh, just about his background and his upbringing and and his. What did he have? Two brothers. And I think they were all named, the parents named all, the dad was a big fan of Lennon. And he named, uh, he used Lennon's middle name, first name, and last name to name his sons. And that's where Carlos O'Jackal gets his uh, first name. Isn't that the, isn't that the story there?
0: That is the story, Brad. And, uh, again, uh, you know, as a, as a young agent in the eighties, we had this guy that was traveling around the world that was an assassin for hire that had been trained by the KGB and and as i had put in my tweet he was the poster child of terror during that time frame and for the, for anybody that lived through those events uh you know there there's a couple that come to mind not only carlos the jackal but certainly the events by uh, black september at the 1972 uh, Olympics in Munich. So uh, Carlos uh, knew all these folks. Uh, Gaddafi used him for for hits, and um, I don't think we'll see anybody like him. Uh, I don't think anybody like him can exist today without uh, being hit by a drone uh, or a SEAL team taking him out.
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting how he was finally arrested. It was, what, in Sudan? He was either awaiting to go under the knife or just had surgery or something like that. Isn't that how he got caught?
0: Yes. Uh, it was actually August the 14th, uh, 1994, and he had uh, hunkered down in Khartoum. And uh, again, that was a stateless government and and some intelligence surface that, that placed him there. And, and Interestingly, in that same time frame, we had uh, Osama bin Laden uh, in Khartoum, uh, which was a lawless state, uh, much like Libya today, which, uh, as, as you wrote about in your recent book, Use of Force, you had this lawless uh, area where uh, all these terrorists could, could use as a safe haven.
1: Well, that 's what I find fascinating about talking with you, Fred, because I write fiction i I do thrillers, and uh, as you know because i 've tweeted it out i 'm a big fan of your book, uh, Ghost. And I've got uh, multiple copies of it. Actually, I've got a copy at home. I've got a couple copies in my office. And to see the detail and the stuff that you went through, and you know, a lot of a lot of people today, of course, are familiar with ISIS and Al Qaeda. But you know, before there was Bin Laden, there was uh, Abu Nidal. And it is amazing how much pain and misery. Uh, it ha- has been inflicted on people around the world by these figures like Carlos the Jackal, whether it was chucking those grenades into that restaurant in Paris, uh, or any number of attacks and things that Abu Nidal was behind or Carlos the Jackal. And these names, we just don't talk about them as much anymore. But what you said about not seeing another kind of Carlos the Jackal today because you know he'd get droned or a SEAL team would find him. Uh, do you think that Carlos the Jackal, Fred, was exceedingly talented, that he was kind of the Michael Jordan of what he was doing, Or could the Soviets have trained up just about anybody to do that?
0: I think he was the pick of the litter. I I think uh, Brad terrorists like him come around uh, only so often, uh, whether it uh, is Ali Hassan Salome of uh, Black September fame, uh, who the Israelis eventually uh, assassinated in Beirut, uh, or an Abu Nidal or a Carlos the Jackal. Uh, there's a handful of these kinds of terrorists that uh, uh, I think it's important, which I think you do a great job of too, of of looking at uh, for any student of uh, terrorism or or student of history, and which which brings me to a question, uh, Brad. I'd love to ask you. Uh, I saw you dedicated uh, your recent book, Use of Force, to uh, Dewey Claridge, uh, who. As you and I both know uh, was uh, a cold warrior from the CIA and this legendary spy master and and I must say in 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 reading your books uh your your characters are just phenomenal and i And you have this character by the name of Reed Carlton and I've got to ask you that question uh, was Reed Carlton or is Reed Carlton modeled after Dewey Claridge?
1: Yes. Uh, so it's funny because so many people have, or I shouldn't say so many, only a handful of people have picked up, actually read the, uh, dedication. I asked, uh, Ray Kelly's son, uh, in New York is a, uh, television morning personality. And he was the first one to say, oh yeah, I knew him. I'm friends with Ollie North. And that's how I knew, uh, knew, uh, him. And Dewey was a fascinating, fascinating man, uh, at a time where, I mean, he helped stand up the, the counterterrorism center at the CIA and really had a, a, a great way I think of looking at, uh, not only the United States but the threats, the true threats posed Uh, by its enemies and the links we needed to go to be able to neutralize those threats. Um, And, uh, you know, we'd have talks about some of the calcification and the bureaucracy at the CIA and uh, the ability of the OSS versus the CIA today and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was an absolute joy for me to know him. And one of the funniest things that I talked about when I was on tour is one of the first things Dewey ever asked me, and he had this kind of New England accent that i always mess up but brad if you're ever gonna fake your own death how would you do it so people believe it uh and and dewey passed away recently and it's funny because uh i didn't attend the service uh but i know several people that did it was a it was a pretty big deal he was a legend and uh that's one of the first things dewey ever asked me how as a fiction writer if i was going to fake somebody's death how how would i do it
0: (laughs) that's a great story uh as a as a young man um, assigned uh, to work on uh, the hostage problem in Lebanon, and uh, I had the opportunity to to see him walk through the halls at times at uh, the counterterrorism center, and and uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, have interviewed Dewey for for my next book uh, that'll be coming out uh, in 2018, and. Uh, It was one of those arrangements where I I still felt like I should call him uh, Mr. Claridge. You know, he was always (laughs) that kind of man because when he was there at the agency, uh, he certainly was uh, the kind of person that uh, you couldn't miss. We'll get back to the rest of my conversation with author Brad Thor in just a moment. But if you'd like to learn more about any of his 17 books, be sure to visit his website, bradthor.com. You'll also find plenty of extras, like suggested cocktails and gear for each book. And if you'd like to hear more stories about my experience with Carlos the Jackal, or writing about the attack in Benghazi, be sure to read my Lessons from the Old Case file series on Stratfor Worldview. We'll include a link in the show notes. If you're not already a subscriber, you can remedy that by visiting worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. You can also learn more about my books, Ghost, Chasing Shadows, and my most recent published book, Under Fire, The Untold Story of the Attack in Benghazi. Now back to my conversation with Brad Thor. I'd like to talk, Brad, too, about your hero, who I think um, uh, is just an amazing character as you you write your books, uh, Scott Harvath. And uh, I know he's a USC grad, which obviously is also where you went to school. How did you design him? Meaning, uh, is there a person like Dewey that you have used for him? Or um, I, I would just love to know that.
1: Well, it's interesting because when I was in college uh, at USC, I lived off campus in, a, in an apartment building and my job, how I made money when I was in college, was leasing uh, units in this building and I lived in the building and my next door neighbor – was a fascinating guy that had come out of the U.S. Army Ranger Battalions and had been part of a really, really cool unit uh, in the 1980s. Uh, it was on the grounds of the old Delta Force compound. They used to call it the Fiesta Cantina. I understand because of the buildings, they kind of <laughs> resembled uh, I guess Southwest or, uh, or Mexican architecture. But uh, this neighbor of mine was in a unit. Uh, they had combed the Ranger Battalions looking for uh, Soldiers who had spoken German Growing up and still spoke German And they, they Called the battalions, found these guys Trained them up and placed them in Berlin during the Cold War And they wore German clothing purchased locally, all this kind of stuff. Their their job was to blend in. And they had friendly beer stew boners that would allow them to tear out the walls in the basement and, uh, and hide things in the walls and replaster them, radio sets, weapons, Krugerans They had all this stuff stashed all around Berlin. And if the Soviets ever came over the wall, their job was to slow them down uh, so, uh, Very so cool. that they – They couldn't move through Europe uh, quickly. A lot of guerrilla warfare, things like this. Very cool. But what I loved about it was this melding of – Military and intelligence together, Uh, what these guys would also do uh, over there, uh, and as somebody involved with DSS, I'm sure this would be interesting for you, is that they were trained in architecture. So when a new ambassador would come in to an embassy and his wife would want to move walls around or whatever, these guys would come in and they would redraw the plans. So if there was ever a takeover, a hostage situation at an embassy or something like that, they had drawn the most current set of plans so that they could plan a, I don't know what you'd call an operation to take the embassy back. So I was fascinated by this person who was my next door neighbor. He was terrific, really, really nice, Very uh, shared with me a lot of stuff. And then my family, my cousins grew up on Coronado. So anytime you went down to Coronado, you'd see the SEALs training on the beach. Sure. I got to know through someone else, Harry Humphreys, who worked with Dick Marcinko as one of the original plank owners of SEAL Team Six. And Harry Humphreys works on all the Jerry Bruckheimer movies. You always see his name in there. Um, and, and he was extremely kind to me of giving me details about the SEAL teams and stuff like that. So it was like any other business, networking. And so as I got to know these incredible men and, and heard stories of what they did, it all went into this stew for my main character, Scott Harvath. But Harvath is really – as much as my next-door neighbor and Harry had these great stories, there's a handful of people that I know that are actively out there. Uh, taken the hurt to the bad guys around the world and doing some of this country's most dangerous business. And that's what Harvath is really based on. Those those brave people out there uh, in some dark, dark corners doing hard, sometimes completely thankless work.
0: Absolutely. That's amazing. I, I really appreciate that. Not only as uh, a, a tremendous fan of your uh, 17 books, uh, Brad, but uh, I'm sure folks at uh, will listen to this, will also be uh, enlightened as to how you put that character together. And I'm glad you did mention the the DSS, uh, because uh, uh, I also read uh, your short story, The Athens Solution, which was published in 2006. And I remember turning like the first or second page, and all of a sudden we have DSS agents featured, which... uh, uh, I appreciate you writing about the DSS because uh, at times uh, it's the kind of organization that doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, media support behind the scenes and a lot of folks still don't know what they do, and uh, which is why I always try to promote my old organization. And when I put my book together on Benghazi, I, I wanted to uh, highlight uh, how difficult a job it is for people around the world to not only carry out these tough missions like – uh, Scott Harvath have to do, but also like these DSS agents that were hunkered down and, and trapped in Benghazi and in literally a uh, no-win situation.
1: Yeah, I, that story to this day, one of the the biggest problems I've got with that whole thing is we were told that there was no way for us to refuel jets that we brought over from Italy, and I'm a big believer, I don't like to see the government waste any money, but it wouldn't have been a waste that night to have those jets going supersonic over Benghazi, breaking every single window in that town, reminding those animals that the U.S. was on the scene, and they better not touch the annex, they better, they better completely pull back, and I think we should have flown those jets until they were dry, ditched them in the med, and let the pilots eject, and we could have fish them out of the water. We could raise the money to buy new jets and build new jets. We can't bring those uh, incredibly heroic dead Americans back to life, though. And I think that's probably one of the biggest failings is that we weren't willing to just sacrifice that equipment to save American lives.
0: Well said, uh, Brad. I think uh, you and I are are both in sync on that. Uh, and I know we only got a few more moments, but uh, I would like to talk a little bit about, I, I see you have one of your, your great books called The Lions of Lucerne. Uh, that's going to be made into a film. Uh, What's the status of that?
1: Well, so the status is we've got a fantastic screenplay that was uh, written uh, by two incredible writers named uh, Adam Cooper and Bill Collage. The most recent thing they did was the Assassin's Creed movie last year based on the video game. But they did Exodus, Gods and Kings. They've done a ton of great stuff. And then having gone to school in Paris, and uh, having grown up with uh, French, I've always been a big fan of the French director, uh, Luc Besson, and wanted to go to work with uh, for him, actually, out of college. And the director we now have on this project is a young director that Luke had discovered, named Louis Leterrier, and Louis did the first two transporter movies, made Jason Statham an action uh, movie superstar. Uh, he also did uh, Now You See Me, about the Vegas magicians that rob banks around the world. So he's done action, he's done taught thrillers, which is the perfect combination for us. So the reason I took more control over these projects in Hollywood instead of it was because I didn't want to give them to a studio, I wanted to pick the writers, I wanted to find the director, I wanted to get everything just right to make sure that my readers get the same experience on the screen that they get reading the books. So we're at that point now where we're starting to talk to different studios to figure out, okay, how do we now go we put together this great team? How do we go and mount the production now so that's the that's the phase we're in, and in fact, I'm flying to California, so got a bunch of stuff going.
0: That's amazing brad uh, i I can't wait for that. That's going to be a blockbuster and uh, I would be remiss uh for not uh personally thanking you for uh, the one thing that folks may not know about brad uh, that that listen to this is he certainly uh goes out of his way to help people. And uh, Brad, uh, I want to personally thank you for uh, recognizing and, and helping me promote my first book, Ghost, and, and talking about how you use some of that material uh, as background research uh, in, in the book you wrote called Blacklist, uh, which is uh, why I'm always tweeting that out as my favorite story because <laughs> <laughs> you were kind enough to do that. But uh, that's just the kind of guy you are. People that want to uh, buy any of your books, I know your website is absolutely tremendous. Uh, I love the gear. I love the challenge coins you have there, and that's www.bradthor.com. Is there anything else or anything else that you want to direct anybody that's going to listen to this uh, podcast uh, to get any of your books?
1: The website is the best, BradThor.com. There's uh, insight into the creation of each book. There's videos. There's all tons of uh, there's tons of great additional bonus content there. So I think that's the perfect place to start. And of course, uh, people can follow me at Brad B R A D T H O R Brad Thor uh, on Twitter, and then I'm uh, also on uh, Facebook.
0: Thank you so much, Brad, for taking the time. Uh, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, You're a good friend and a a better guy.
1: I owe you dinner and drinks uh, now that you upheld your side of the bargain and uh, told me about how you got Carlos the Jackal's signature. So uh, we'll have to figure out when we're in the same city, and I'm buying.
0: Well, I will certainly take you up on that, and we'll have to take a picture uh, and tweet that out. Uh, So thanks again, Brad, and uh, safe travels to California.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks again for joining us for my conversation with New York Times bestselling author Brad Thor. You can learn more about his latest book, Use of Force, at bradthor.com. Again, you can follow Brad on Twitter, at Brad Thor, and you can follow me at Fred underscore Burton. And for more geopolitical analysis, forecasting, and insight into global security developments, be sure to visit us at Stratfor Worldview. If you're not a subscriber and value an independent, sober approach to international affairs, go to worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe to learn more about individual, team, and enterprise subscriptions. Subscribers can even contribute to the conversation by sharing their insights, thoughts, and other experiences in the forum section on Stratfor Worldview. And if you have a comment or idea for a future episode of the podcast, please email us at podcast at or give us a call at 1-512-744-4300 extension 3917. Also consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the show. We appreciate your feedback. And for more geopolitical intelligence analysis and forecasting that brings global events into valuable perspective, follow Stratfor on Twitter, at Stratfor. Thanks for listening.